call the D2R Podcast Network hotline, USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. If you call and we're recording, we'll take your call live on the air. If you call and we're not recording, leave a voicemail with your name, the show you're calling for, and we'll play it live on the next show. The hotline is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Once again, the D2R Podcast Network Hotline, USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. Call today! To Reality Entertainment presents the Think Tank Podcast. And now, coming to you pre-recorded, deep undercover, in the world's deepest, darkest, most secure, Hadron Collider and nuclear bomb tested and approved doomsday bunker, here is Ryan the Area Man. This is uh, Jim Fetzer with an update on fake news issues of identity involving Lee Oswald, Noah Posner, Paul McCartney, and Hillary Clinton. Some of this will be information that has never crossed the minds of the audience before now, but important to understand. First, we begin with JFK. It turns out that the patsy, the man the Warren Commission fingered as the lone demanded gunman, was actually standing in the doorway of the Texas School Book Depository at the time the motorcade passed by, which meant he not only cannot have been the lone gunman, he cannot have been one of the shooters. Here's, of course, the official account uh, where, uh, according to the government, Lee Oswald using an obscure Mandlicker Carcano, which is a ridiculous choice for an assassination, having been known as a humanitarian rifle in World War II for never harming anyone on purpose, is supposed to have got off three shots, uh, scoring by the final version of the Warren Report two hits. One, JFK in the back of the neck, and then uh, uh, in the back of the head, killing him. Uh, we know that the arrest of Lee Oswald took place with preternatural speed. Notice this is at 1.40 p.m. In fact, he actually... This is the arrest record, which states this man shot and killed President John F. Kennedy and police officer J.D. Tippett. He also shot and, uh, and, 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 and wounded Governor John Connolly. Well, that's pretty fantastic because actually the arrest of Lee Oswald wouldn't take place until 1.50 at the Texas Theater. So, you know, it ought to be saying this guy is a suspect, that his behavior was odd, even that he entered the theater without buying the ticket, all of which turns out to be false. But but rather than giving this declaration about him having been the lone assassin. Now, this is the most important photograph from the history of the assassination. It was taken by AP photographer uh, James Ike Alchin because he took six or seven it's known as the Alchin Six. He can't recall taking the seventh, which appears to have been a fabrication of the limousine moving away, where you can see Clint Hill uh, on the back. Uh, but 
And therefore, I think we have an explanation for why he can't recall taking it. He didn't take it. But if you look in the background here, there are a lot of important features, including you can actually see the small spiral nebula uh, where J the bullet passed through the windshield before it hit JFK in the throat, just where his left ear would be if his left ear were visible. Then the background, and you can see a couple of those agents looking at this man who appears to be extending out. It looks like he has a towel over his shoulder. That is the figure known as the man in the doorway. You'll notice just beside him is someone with his hands upraised, evidently to protect his eyes from the sun. Although it's not obvious in the background, the fire escape actually brackets this window on the second floor of the Daltex from which three shots would be fired by an anti-Castro Cuban by the name of Nestor Tony Escadro, the only shots fired with a Manlooker Carcano, the, uh, well, with an unsilenced weapon in Dealey Plaza, Manlooker Carcano to set up the acoustical impression of only three shots having been fired. So here's a closer up looking at this doorway area that proves to be so terribly significant. And indeed, this is the version that tends to be the subject of primary discussion prepared by Robert Grodin, where you can very clearly see the man in the doorway, the man with his uh, hands raised, who has been referred to as Black Hole Man, because you'll notice his face has been obfuscated, as has been his shirt. In fact, it dumbfounds me that anyone could look at this photograph and not recognize when the shirt has been so grossly obscured and the face of a figure there also scratched out, they would claim that this hadn't been subjected to alteration. But another and even more stunning proof that it has been manipulated is that the shoulder of doorman, the left shoulder, is missing because that wasn't a tie over his shoulder. Rather, it was a, a figure referred to as black tie man who's both in front of and behind him at the same time which obviously is an optical and a physical impossibility. Indeed, uh, Doorman would have to be missing his uh, his left clavicle, his shoulder bone, in order for that to be even anatomically, you know, be missing his shoulder, which clearly is not the case. Rather, this is a function of, of, of the photograph having been manipulated. Now, during the interview with Will Fritz, the homicide detective who interrogated him, he was asked where he was during the shooting. And he explained, out with Bill Shelley in front, where Bill Shelley was, was in fact, uh, one of lead supervisors in the book depository. You would have thought that would have led everyone into a great search of photographs to determine whether or not what he said was true. Indeed, everything we have been able to uh, investigate that Lee Oswald said while in custody has turned out to be true, and this is no exception. Here, when he was uh, booked, I think because the comparison between him and Doorman in the shirt with which he was arrested on the ride was so conspicuous that they had to, you know, minimize the comparisons and therefore had to take off his shirt and photographed in a T-shirt, which otherwise is inexplicable. Why would you take a man when he was arrested as seen on the ride? And this is a very richly textured long sleeve shirt. That was purchased in Russia, and as you can see from the bottom part, tattered and torn, which is splayed open at the top, all of which figures in, uh, you know, comparisons between Lee is arrested and the man in the doorway. Indeed, 
Richard Hook has done brilliant comparisons. Here's one of his most elementary, where he's showing that the left collar, the lapel, and the button loop are the same in the Lee Oswald shirt uh, as they were on the man in the doorway, using a couple of images of Lee for the sake of the comparison. Here you see uh, uh, the unidentified individual who is photographed in Mexico City who is impersonating Lee Oswald. In fact, it's rather fascinating that Director Hoover uh, sent out to all his FBI station chiefs a memorandum explaining that someone uh, was in Mexico City impersonating Lee Harvey Oswald, which in my opinion is if all that was all you knew, about the assassination, you'd understand it was a conspiracy and that Lee Oswald was being set up to be framed. There's another nice photograph of him in this shirt. When I first began taking a good look at the doorman, I went to the website of John McAdams, who's actually a leading low nutter. In other words, he's working the other side of the fence, and I found this photograph with a, the face obfuscated, which I inferred at the time must be Lee Oswald, uh, it turns out I was mistaken, and indeed, after I published this in a summation of what we know now that we didn't know then, I was contacted by Ralph Sinkay, who happens to be a chiropractor, who emphasized the importance of the shirt, the, the build, the height, the weight, and the clothing he was wearing as a mode of identification, uh, because uh, Ralph is a used to helping people to get into shape so their clothing will fit better. He's actually an expert in this area. You see here a a pastiche of other photographs that have been used in the uh, effort to insist that it was Billy Lovelady who was the man in the doorway, not the figure circled in orange, not the figure with his hands raised, but actually the doorman. Or some of the photographs, such as in the very middle top, uh, were taken by Robert Grodin, who appears to have been a key player here in this effort to uh, obfuscate the fact that Lee was in the doorway. He was hired as a special consultant by the House Select Committee on Assassinations to investigate precisely this issue and reported back that a study of the pixelation of the uh, the, the doorman of, of the shirt in which Lee Oswald was arrested and of this, uh, uh, red and black checkered shirt showed that the red and black checkered shirt was a closer match to the shirt on the doorman than Lee Oswald's shirt, which Judith Very Baker would eventually refute uh, by demonstrating precisely the opposite to be the case. Uh, we also have this other figure here in the second from the right that I refer to as Gorilla Man. He, he is much too uh, husky, thick through the chest, to possibly be doorman, he has a profile of a gorilla, and his shirt is buttoned right up to the top. Indeed, a very interesting discrepancy between the shirt from the Love Lady 1971, photographed by Grodin, and the shirt on Gorilla Man, is that the shirt on Gorilla Man has a pocket, which is missing from the shirt on Love Lady 1971, uh, thereby refuting Robert Grodin's claim that, in fact, it was the same shirt because these are supposed to be the same person, even though they obviously are not. Then we see on the right uh, from uh, some film that was released later that was an attempt to put Billy Lovelady into the Dallas Police Department, who appears to be 
you know, looks very much like Gorilla Man, but very unlike a Billy Lovelady. You see a photograph of Billy beside Lee here at the bottom. So here are these, here's the point about the shirt in the Groden photographs. Very, very disturbing that Robert Groden, who many have long admired as a leading expert on the assassination of JFK, that he would, uh, you know, present these photographs of Billy Lovelady as wearing the same shirt, uh, as Gorilla Man because they're both supposed to be the same person. But, you know, they simply aren't. I mean, look at the, left most of the three photographs at the top, and you get something of a left profile of Billy Lovelady versus the left profile of Gorilla Man. They're not the same. Billy actually was asked by the FBI to come in on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the shirt he had worn at the time of the assassination, and he came in wearing a red and white vertically striped shirt. Now, that, of course, is completely different than the shirt on Doorman, though they had him unbutton the shirt halfway so it seemed to be splayed open to make it seem more plausible. Uh, but even the FBI themselves, uh, in their memorandum to Director Hoover, wrote, he stated he was wearing a red and white vertically striped shirt and blue jeans, which means he cannot have been the Doorman, even though this effort has been made to insist that he was, it's a very clear that the Warren Commission did some slights of hand to make it appear as though the man in the doorway, whom others, such as Harold Weisberg and even Jim Garrison, had concluded was, in fact, uh, uh, Lee Oswald. Larry Rivera has done brilliant work uh, in superposition of photographs where you even have two of Marilyn here that might look initially to be of a different person. But when you superimpose them, they turn out to be one and the same person. So that while we not only have the height, the weight, the build, the shirt and the T-shirt being the same from Lee Oswald when he was arrested to the doorman, which in my opinion already seals the deal, Larry has now gone further to establish the facial features by finding photographs of Billy Lovelady and of Lee Oswald that are from the right perspective. And here you see where he uh, created a GIF, where you can see that the man in the doorway is indeed Lee Oswald, fits hand in glove. Though we do uh, believe they, they trifled with the hairline a bit to make it look more like a Billy Lovelady. But when you look at the features, the jaw, the nose, the ears, and so forth in the GIF, it's obvious that this confirms that indeed Lee Oswald was the man in the doorway. Here's a comparison between Lee on the left and Billy on the right, and you can see that Billy doesn't come out the same. His nose is wrong. His ears are wrong. His jaw is wrong. Uh, not, not, not even the hairline is right, oddly enough. But very clear that, in fact, uh, the doorman was not Billy Lovelady. He, he himself never claimed to be the, the doorman. Uh, but rather, you know, with a shirt, appears to have been the figure with his hands raised to, to protect his son, uh, as we see here once again, and where uh, Larry has done an image and been able to establish that, in fact, the man uh, known as Black Hole Man was, of course, Billy Lovelady. And now we understand why they had to obfuscate the shirt 
I mean, being a red and white vertically striped shirt, it would have stood out very much as it stands out here, where Larry has done a reconstruction of what the scene ought to have looked like in its original version, which means, and here from a greater distance, a closer approximation to um, Ike Alchin's sixth photograph, uh, where it becomes obvious that Lee Oswald, not only cannot have been the lone demented gunman, as the government claims, but cannot have been one of the shooters, and where you can find more proof documenting every aspect of what I've been discussing here in my fourth collection of expert studies, JFK, Who, How, and Why, Solving the World's Greatest Mystery, where we have contributions from 15 different experts, including Larry Rovira. Sandy Hook, what's most interesting about Sandy Hook is not the elaborate charade that took place where we've been able to prove that the school was closed by 2008, that it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards, damaged by a hurricane. There was a massive flood in 2007. We have a monster mammoth compilation of evidence uh, proving that the school was closed and there were no students there. But for the sake of PR, to promote the subterfuge, uh, when it was actually a two-day FEMA drill, they staged this photograph where you appear to have a policewoman leading children to safety. And, and it, you know, this photograph was sent around the world and was probably regarded as the strongest evidence that there had actually been a shooting at Sandy Hook since, for example, there are no photographs from the crime scene the medical examiner wouldn't allow the parents to observe the bodies of their children, uh, but only did so on the basis of photographs, claiming there was less emotional trauma that way. As a parent myself, I can assure you, no force on earth, if I had been told one of my kids was dead, would inhibit me from viewing the body to verify the facts for myself. But the parents were very compliant because the fact of the matter is that children only existed in photographs. Uh, they were fictions made up out of photographs of older kids when they were younger. And we have been able to prove this photograph itself was staged because it turns out that Shannon Hicks, uh, the, the, the uh, pho- photographer and editor for the Newtown Bee, uh, took both of these photographs. And notice here you have a series of parents standing on with their arms folded, looking on casually. This is not the behavior of a parent. If this had been an emergency situation, they would have taken their kid and got out of there pronto very fast as possible. So this is totally implausible from the beginning. And when we do a close-up, we find that the policewoman actually has has stopped to rearrange the kids uh, to get a better shot. So you had this uh, little girl in a pink sweater and a short skirt at the bottom She's been replaced by a little boy in a dark sweater and blue jeans. They've rearranged the kids. And and if you look in between boy number one and boy number two, you'll see several parents there in the background casually looking on the scene, to which I refer as lounging at the massacre. I mean, this is all completely ridiculous, and no one even seen merely the comparison of these two photographs ought to believe anything about Sandy Hook was real. Uh, here's where that particular photograph was taken. Since according to the uh, 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 Stephen Sedensky, the state's attorney from Danbury, who did the final report on Sandy Hook, 
there were 489 students in school that day. You subtract 20, there were 469 who needed to be evacuated. If you suppose this was a simulation of an evacuation, here's the area where it took place. But to get 469, you would have had these kinds of evacuations everywhere, all over the parking lot, and they're not there. It's interesting that the police actually specified locations and times where the evacuation was taking place. But we have dash cam footage for those locations and times, and guess what? There's nothing there. Now, we're sometimes told you can't prove a negative, but that's false. You can prove there's no elephant in your living room, for example, by going to your living room and looking for signs of the presence of elephant. Finding none, you're entitled to infer that's because there's no elephant there. If you go to the locations and times where the evacuation was supposed to be taking place and find no signs of an evacuation taking place, you're entitled to infer that's because no evacuation was taking place. There were no 469 additional students. There weren't any students there at all. Now, much of the emotion of the Sandy Hook event has become, been because we're talking about what was alleged to be the slaughter of 20 young children, first graders, five or six years of age, for example, who are completely innocent. So this has a profound effect upon the parents across the United States. Well, here's one of the great frauds of our time, Lenny Posner with Noah, who turns out to be a most unusual little boy, because Noah not only reportedly died in Newtown on 14 December 2012, <coughs> But, but again, in Pakistan on 16 December 2014, and then during, the, you know, after 100 hours of conversation with Kelly Watt, who's been a very astute student of Sandy Hook, who told Lenny she didn't believe he had a son, didn't believe he died, asked for proof of his, even of his birth or of his death. Uh, Lenny inadvisedly, no doubt, sent her a death certificate seen here which is a fabrication. It's a bottom half of a real death certificate. Notice how the dark texture turns light about two-thirds of the way up. So that bottom half is an authentic with the top half of a fake. It doesn't have a file number. It has a wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m. when all the shooting took place between 9.35 and 9.40. Uh, needless to add, if Lenny had a son who'd actually died at Sandy Hook, he would have been able to produce a real death certificate rather than a fake one. So this is proof positive of the fakery. Uh, there's been all kinds of publication about the massacre. In an age of alternative facts, a massacre of school children is called a hoax, writes uh, you know, an article published in the, the Los Angeles Times uh, by a Barbara Demick reporting from Newtown. But it's all fraudulent. Here she's talking about Posner and his then-wife Veronique had moved to Connecticut uh, you know, to Newtown, an 80-mile drive from New York City for its tree-lined cul-de-sacs and quality public schools. On the morning of December 14, 2012, Posner drove Noah and his twin sister and another daughter to school. Noah wearing a Batman shirt, uh, sang along to his favorite song, Gangnam Style. Less than an hour later, he was shot in the face with such force, his jaw was blown off, his sisters cowered in another classroom and survived. Well, that's very touching if it were true. But it's complete bullshit. It's a fabrication. It has no basis, in fact, whatsoever. In fact, it was Kelly who first noticed 
a similarity between Noah and a fellow who is supposed to be his older uh, stepbrother, Michael Vabner. She had shown the photographs like these to several of her friends, and they all said, yeah, yeah, they thought there was a resemblance there, that it looked as though uh, Noah and Michael were one and the same, which led us to undertake a rather extended investigation involving six of us at least, According to Lenny, who purports to be his father, Noah was a first-grade student at Sandy Hook Elementary when he and 19 other children were massacred by Adam Wanta. Here's a passport image declaring his date of birth to have been 20 November 2006. Now, it will turn out this is very disturbing because it suggests the United States government was fabricating a passport image for the benefit of Lenny Posner, which I'm quite certain is a federal offense. If Noah was born on 20 November 2006, then he would have been six years old, which would be appropriate to have been a first grader at Sandy Hook Elementary. We now have multiple proofs that falsify this scenario and confirm the hypothesis that Noah is Michael Vabner as a child. I mean, here are some of the photographs, and we found a fair number. Uh, Lenny has been relentless in trying to take down any of these images because the proof is so devastating that, in fact, there was no Noah Posner, that he was a fiction made up out of photographs of uh, Michael Babner as a child. Uh, Dr. Whelan, for example, cropped photos of the two focused on their ears. Here's her side-by-side comparison. At first, uh, Noah's left ear appeared to have a smaller lobe than Michael's left ear, but in a picture of the right ear, reveals a lobe like Michael's. So, in conclusion, they have the same ears. If Noah and Michael have the same ears and the same eyes, which we also established, then we have proof they're one and the same, as powerful as fingerprints, which, of course, are frequently introduced into courts of law. So here's another comparison suggesting they have the same eyes, same eyebrows, it gets much more serious because Larry Rivera, has done, who has done brilliant research proving the figure known as Doorman, standing in the doorway was in fact Lee Oswald, as Harold Weisberg, Jim Garrison, and other serious students of JFK has believed. So I was sure he could help to resolve this issue by superposition. And in fact, here's a, here's a display of the frames we will now witness where you see Noah Posner turned into Michael Vabner, where they simply did a reversal. Uh, just witness. I mean, can anyone have any doubt that Noah Posner was a fiction made out of photographs of Michael Vabner as a child? And if, and if Noah is a fiction, uh, uh, surely all the other children are fictions, which explains why Lenny had to provide a fake uh, death certificate because he didn't have a real one. Indeed, uh, Wolfgang Helmig, who's been quite brilliant, tenacious, uh, like a, a bulldog going after these issues, has now uh, verified a, a photograph that shows eight of the Sandy Hook girls all, you know, grown up, looking real perky, very much alive and fit, juxtaposed with the photographs of them that were used to, to suggest that they were among the decedents at Sandy Hook. I mean, this is simply grotesque. And the fact is that this appears to have been a Barack Obama, a Joe Biden, Eric Holder, Daniel Malloy, Connecticut State Police, Newtown School Board event, where the parents who pretended uh, benefited immensely because they split between 27 and $130 million uh, between the 26 families. That's over a million bucks apiece. The school board got $50 million for a new kindergarten through fourth grade school to replace the old elementary, which was torn down. 
but of course, they knew it eventually would have to be replaced, which is why it was abandoned in the first place. I did research and found the average cost for a kindergarten to fourth grade school is only seven million, so they got seven times seven million to build a new elementary school in Sandy Hook. What's this to be? The Taj Mahal of elementary schools? I mean, it's grotesque. The corruption is manifest. If you want verification, because Amazon.com banned the first edition, which I released as a PDF, you can download the first edition for free. Just put in the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, and have it at your disposal. Where the FEMA manual for the two-day drill is Appendix A, or you can go to Moonrock Books for the second edition, uh, which is available there. Paul versus Fall. Was uh, Paul replaced by a look-alike? And, of course, we're talking about Paul McCartney, who, you know, this is of special significance to me. Uh, because I was a huge Beatle fan during my lifetime, I had one radio show with, uh, what, 880 episodes where I began uh, with Beatles music every single show. And, uh, you know, at one point in my life, I was asked by a friend if I, you know, had been someone else growing up, who would I have wanted to be? And I replied, Paul McCartney. After what I'm going to explain now, however, I'm not so sure I might have had the transformation taken place, have discovered I was already dead. I'm not talking about an obvious impersonator of Paul McCartney. This was from Norway, somebody who was faking to make a lot of bucks. Um, that's routine and trivial. Uh, I'm not gonna, talking about the guy on the right. I'm talking about the guy on the left who's become so familiar that we tend to take for granted that this is what Paul McCartney actually looked like. Uh, when you go back, however, and look at earlier images, you see Paul on the left, he really doesn't look all that much alike. Now, Nick Kohlerstrom, who's done brilliant work on 7-7, for example, where he cracked the case by discovering that the train from Luton, that the four young Muslim lads who apparently had been lured into participating in a drill, uh, uh, were unable to even be at the tube stops when the, the bombs went off because the train from Luton that day had been canceled. So the whole story of 7-7 is a total fabrication. Nick's book, Terror on the Tube, is now in its third edition. He's published a new book, False Flag Chronicles with Moonrock, uh, uh, where he goes through 13 different staged attacks in Europe alone. 13 in Europe alone, Chronicles of False Flag Terror, a brilliant book. Well, he and I have done several interviews about the Paul Fall controversy. And just notice the look uh, of Paul in relation to John there, very similar. Uh, but here's a contrast. you got Paul on the left and Fall, as he's referred to, for fake Paul or false Paul, F-A-U-L, as opposed to P-A-U-L, really doesn't look the same. Uh, here are other photographs which bring out the contrast. Paul on the left and Fall on the right. I mean, both, uh, they both have a pleasant enough visage. Paul, you'll notice, has a more roundish, uh, childlike face, where Fall has a more mature, oval face. Here's another a pair of photographs of, of, of Paul and Fall. Again, very suggestive of the difference. And you'll even notice a contrast in the eye color, which is rather striking in and of itself. Uh, and a profile is extremely revealing. Here you have Paul on the left, Paul on the right. And notice the difference in the chin, uh, the nose, 
the way the, uh, the lips and the jaw align beneath the nose, uh, above the nose, the ridge, the forehead more forward and fall than in Paul. Interestingly, Paul, you can't see his ears here, has been known to wear a fake earpiece. Uh, how many in your lifetime have you ever known who wore a fake earpiece? But that's because, of course, ears are as distinctive as fingerprints, as we noted in discussing the case of of Noah Posner. Now, here's an interesting photograph, uh, both with Jane Asher, to whom Paul, on the left, of course, was engaged. And here is Paul with Jane, significantly, I'd estimate, about four inches taller. Now, you can't have one of the same guy, uh, the same height of Jane Asher, but also four inches taller, uh, which obviously is a prima facie proof that they're not the same person. Here's a car uh, owned by uh, Paul McCartney, uh, which appears to be the car in which he died. If we have the story right, it appears that he left uh, the studio after having a conflict with uh, John Lennon that was raining. He was driving, and there was a girl by the road. He gave her a lift. Her name was Rita. She was so excited to be in a vehicle with Paul McCartney that she distracted him, and he, he ran a stop sign or a light and was hit by a truck and wound up being pinned in the vehicle. Rita got out, but he did not. It caught fire, and he burned to death. And that appears to be the true story of what happened to Paul. Uh, but it presumes that we know that Paul was, in fact, replaced, and indeed it fell to two uh, Italian forensic scientists to confirm the issue, which is really fascinating because they set out to prove the opposite. In other words, having heard the rumors, Having seen photographs of the kind I just displayed, they were intrigued by the possibility, but skeptical and set out to prove that, in fact, they were one and the same. The fact is they wound up proving precisely the opposite. They noticed a common feature in Fall's early photos not seen in recent, a dark area shadowing the external corner of the left eye. That area now shows something halfway between a scar and something that resembles skin, stretched as a consequence of cosmetic surgery or, as Gal Vizzini suggests, of an imperfect cosmetic surgery because while there was a fairly close initial resemblance, Fall was sent to Africa to undertake cosmetic surgery to make the resemblance a closer approximation. Now, here's a comparison of their teeth and their palates. It turns out this is very significant. Paul had bad teeth. And a, and a narrow palate where Paul is on the right. Paul had good teeth and a normal palate seen on the left. Well, you can't be one of the same person and have both bad teeth and a narrow palate and good teeth and a broad palate, which are features that are not normally amenable to even the surgical alteration. Oh, people can have their teeth fixed, of course. Here's the very first appearance uh, of Paul outside EMI where the other three members arrived clean-shaven, the mustache, and then the, the, all the beards and all that paraphernalia appears to have been designed to conceal that this is Fall uh, rather than Paul. Here he is with Mal Evans, who is keeping close watch on him, no doubt to give him information for answers to questions where he might not know what to say in response. Uh, here is the first photograph uh, with uh, a fall with the Beatles on January 6th. Notice the lighting is deliberately intended to create a very considerable difficulty in seeing the features on their faces. They're already sporting mustaches. Must have taken, you know, a, a, a month or two to grow them, and therefore the first photo shot was in January. 
here with Magical Mystery Tour, it's interesting how to try to minimize the height difference, you have Paul uh, fall in the middle not wearing shoes. Uh, but, you know, these differences will out. Notice his head is tilted again. But when you go back to, for example, their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, notice how all of their heights are approximately the same. Uh, they, they were all around uh, 5'10 to 5'11 in height, which is average height. That's my height as well. Uh, but now, of course, there turns out to be a noticeable difference in their height. Uh, the Sgt. Pepper album appears to have been intended to introduce the one and only Billy Shears as Paul's replacement, where the Beatles were being very direct and open about it. You have a, this is clearly a funeral event. You have a burial mound with a left-hand guitar. You have the image of the lads in dark suits from Madame Tussaud's waxwork indicating they are a figment of the past where the resplendent new band with Paul is present. And, of course, there would turn out to be many clues in the songs and albums. But where Billy Shears is a nickname for William Shepard, who was a a studio musician of of vast talent known as the man of a thousand voices, he could impersonate virtually anyone. Here's an interesting cover of Abbey Road, according to Ringo, uh, it, there was a hidden message here symbolizing a funeral procession where John, dressed in white, is the clergyman, Ringo in black, the undertaker, George in denim and shirt, the gravedigger, and Paul, barefoot and out of steps, symbolizes the corpse. When, when Paul was asked about this as to why he took off his shoes, he said it because it was a very hot day. Uh, and, you know, implying he wanted to cool his feet. But, that, frankly, that's an absurd explanation. I mean, this is on asphalt, which absorbs heat on a hot day. Asphalt would be much hotter than you'd want your feet to be in contact with. So his explanation was feeble and misconceived, but appears to have been the best he could do on the spot at the time. Here are other photographs that suggest the difference. This is Billy Shepard in his original incarnation, the, uh, back in 1963, before he'd uh, uh, become a member of the band, uh, and Paul on the left. In fact, Linda McCartney actually approached Paul subsequently, where she'd been a photographer of many of these bands, and said, uh, I know you're not Paul. When did you join the band? And it would turn out they hit it off famously and would eventually marry, and that appears to be as bona fide a romantic uh, relationship as Paul had with uh, had with Jane Asher, uh, where the family appears to have been induced to go along with it. Ringo, in, in what I believe to have been an authentic interview, said, uh, you know, he raised the question, what about the band? I mean, this is a billion-dollar industry, the Beatles' band, and they had to figure out a solution. They were concerned, it appears, that uh, Paul's death would lead to the suicide of many of his teenage-adoring fans, you know, Romeo-Juliet kind of thing. But also, and I think more importantly, they wanted uh, to keep the music going. It would turn out that Billy Shears was a far more creative and innovative musician than than was Paul, which in the end, I think, antagonized John Lennon so that he was, uh, you know, uh, unable to continue uh, with Paul with uh, having replaced Paul because he was even a better musician than John. Here's where Fall appeared on an interview with uh, with a well-known radio host, and, and who asked him 
uh, you know, about these rumors that he was dead. I mean, this was occurring as the story was breaking in the in the newspapers. And David Letterman asked him, well, you know, who, who was a replacement? You know, who was a double? And Paul said, me, which, of course, was an honest response. Uh, but David Letterman, you know, was just befuddled and didn't have any idea what what he was really hearing this conversation that was taking place. We have lots and lots of indirect, and you know, the confirmation where now it turns out that uh, Billy even authored a, 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 a memoir, the memoir, uh, memoir of Billy Shears, which you can obtain on uh, Amazon.com, runs about 40 books, 40 bucks, but it's, uh, you know, 600 or more pages. It's very, very substantial. And, uh, in fact, uh, I have a copy of it right here. I don't think anyone could read this memoir and not be convinced that the author was uh, Billy Shears, who was indeed the replacement. But where he explains that for legal obligations, he can't reveal the truth of the matter. Turns out I had uh, four chapters about the death and replacement of Paul McCartney in the moon book. Uh, uh, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon, which includes four chapters about the moon landing, which was uh, clearly a, a staged event. Four chapters about the death and replacement of Paul. Two about the first death of Saddam Hussein, who actually was killed in a B-1 bomber strike on 7 April 2003, just three weeks into the event, which George W. Bush was going to announce aboard the the USS Lincoln in the misconceived mission accomplished, which turned into a fiasco because someone were convinced it was a uh, uh, Donald Rumsfeld realized three presidents had signed executive orders prohibiting the assassination of a foreign leader, which meant that had W announced that he would have been guilty of violating the law. Uh, so they actually replaced Saddam with one of his doubles, put him on trial and hanged him. Uh, then we have uh, two chapters on the first death of Osama bin Laden, who actually died of his medical maladies in Afghanistan on 15 December 2001. Uh, he was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim traditions. There were local obituaries, even CNN in Fox News on the 26th published reports about the death of Osama bin Laden. It would take the New York Times six months to catch up. We even have quotes in the paper from Dick Cheney talking about, you know, uh, well, that was regarding Saddam's body having been dragged out of the rubble after the bomb strike on a restaurant in Baghdad. But with regard to Osama, it was politically expedient for Barack Obama to resurrect him a decade later and conduct a phony attack on a compound in Pakistan, complete charade. But in addition, then, the book has uh, four chapters about the Holocaust, about the end of World War II, which explain how uh, the real history is very different than what's taught in our schools. Uh, and you see on the back there, I put a photograph of the British soccer team at Auschwitz, which is a tell from uh, Nick Kohlerstrom's brilliant book, uh, you know, uh, Breaking the Spell of the Holocaust Mythology. And because it has this discussion at the request of the ADL, which is the intellectual enforcement arm of the Mossad, uh, Jeff Bezos very obligingly took off all the books that challenge the official story of the Holocaust, along with my, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, uh, which had been up since 2015. So my first two books published. Now, with Moonrock books that appeared on Amazon were both banned, the Sandy Hook book 
and the and the uh, moon book because they presented too much truth. Frankly, I don't believe you could read the four chapters that were included in the moon book about the Holocaust and continue to believe it was real. Hillary's use of body doubles is really quite fascinating. There's another kind of fake news. Uh, we all know, of course, that uh, on uh, September 11th of 2016, as Hillary left a memorial and stood curbside waiting for her car, a man paying tribute at the 9-11 Museum happened to have his camera on as she walked past. Excited, he was in the presence of a woman who could be the next president. He kept recording. Uh, and, you know, she stumbles and falls, and then she's rather unceremoniously tossed into this van, which appears to be an ambulance masquerading as a, as a, you know, a special uh, vehicle to transport someone in great security. Uh, turns out she was taken back to uh, Chelsea's apartment, which Chelsea didn't need to buy, it, but it had the unusual uh, on the same floor. It had a private hospital, which subsequently was closed to attend to only one patient, Hillary Clinton. As time passed, the, the managers of the Clinton campaign became so concerned that public anxiety about her state of health was going to corrupt the campaign and lead to a tremendous loss of uh, of, of, of support, uh, they sent out a double, uh, and she's uh, uh, younger, thinner, far more cheerful, uh, uh, you know, looks at least 10 years younger. She's 20, 30 pounds lighter, uh, smaller stomach, coat fits better, cheerful, pleasant. It, it's striking that she wasn't accompanied by the Secret Service, which is a tell. Obviously, Hillary is always accompanied by her Secret Service. Uh, she's not accompanied by her her handler, uh, this big black guy who has several degrees in psychiatry and neurology, who has been of late, you know, using a light to show her where to step, which turns out to be a symptom of persons with certain types of neurological uh, diseases uh, that they need the light even to walk forward uh, because of the. You know, the differences between them and her resemblance to one of my favorite actresses, I refer to her as the, as the Meg Ryan double. And here you see a contrast between them. Look how much broader of girth is Hillary Clinton, how much older. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. Hillary's body double is in good health. Fascinating. Well, it turns out a few days later on the flight to Greensboro, uh, 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 Virginia, that we had a second Hillary double on the plane, too tall, too young, wrong nose and earlobe, skinny legs, wrong forehead, missing the two moles Hillary has at the corner, right corner of her mouth. Uh, this one resembles uh, our nation's most acclaimed actress, Meryl Streep, so I refer to her as the Meryl Streep John, uh, uh, double. Here's an authentic photo of Hillary on the right to compare with others. It isn't even close. This is stunning proof of a second body double. Here's another comparison. Uh, voice out analysis, too, confirms the, uh, that they aren't the same person. But they seem to have perfect, perfected a technique, uh, a small metallic voice box that makes the voices virtually indistinguishable. Uh, but regardless of voice comparisons, notice here, this uh, second uh, Hillary Clinton is obviously not the real Hillary Clinton. So here we have a juxtaposition of all three, the Meg Ryan double, the Hillary Clinton double, and the Meryl Streep double. 
Uh, turns out now that this uh, voice box has been seen in Hillary's mouth. Uh, this is uh, Hillary on a plane on uh, 17 uh, uh, September 2016 with a body double, uh, actually even days before on the 15th. And notice the teeth and the overbite here is like, exaggerated in this body double. Astonishingly enough, they even use a body double during the presidential debates. I mean, this is virtually dumbfounding. Look at the difference there. Uh, obviously, the reason she's younger, she's healthier, she looks better, she's far more attractive, she's much thinner, and she sounds just like Hillary Clinton. So uh, on the left, we have Hillary exposed with no med cocktail, no camera filters, no professional makeup, no bolster seat. But the fact is, the figure on the right is a third Hillary double, appears to be the best of the lot. She was used in the debates. Here she is with Bernie Sanders. I mean, the the chutzpah, the brazen action here of putting a body double out during the presidential debate. This is a gross form of fraud and deception being perpetrated by the Democratic National Committee, who obviously knew this wasn't Hillary Clinton. Uh, even during her debate with Donald Trump. That's another body double with Donald Trump during the national debate. I mean, I find this completely outrageous. In my opinion, this invalidated the entire Democratic contest. It ought, therefore, have been handed to Donald Trump by default because they didn't even enter the ring with the right candidate. This is like, uh, you know... Uh, faking a fight by putting a double, another fighter who's better or worse in the ring, you know, in order to secure a victory or lose a fight to make big bucks. Well, this was for all the marbles. Here's another student who's noticed there's a, a constant eye-teeth ratio where if you create a parallel a line between the pupils of the eyes to the bottom of the upper teeth, there's a constant uh, eye-tooth ratio for all of us. Uh, for the real Hillary, it's 1.12. Uh, for the body double, uh, it's only 1.06. Notice a contrast in the eyes as well. They're not really the same color, although that tends to be easy to fake because we have tinted eyeglasses. So here you have the real Hillary. Here you have a fake Hillary in 2016. This is one of the greatest scams in the history of the United States. Uh, because of its political significance, in my judgment, this is even more significant than replacing fall with fall, though others may, you know, weigh the matter differently. We had a fascinating article from the New York Times. This was on February 20th, 2017, Hillary's in the House, where they had uh, photographs of Hillary attending four different plays on Broadway with accompanying photographs. But none of the four is Hillary. These are four different Hillary doubles. I actually wrote to Michael Paulson of the New York Times and explained how this was an interesting piece, but it wasn't Hillary. Had he noticed that she wasn't accompanied by her bodyguards? Uh, wasn't that a clue? And, of course, the New York Times uh, simply stands pat. I never heard a word back from him where the New York Times, of course, is uh, going to perpetrate all kinds of scams on the American people, never make any admission they got anything wrong. So you find here, in fact, in the book on Orlando, where we expose the fraud at Orlando uh, in Dallas uh, and uh, Hillary's use of body doubles, where we have several chapters and where Ole Domagard contributed one about the, the, the truck attack at Nice, 
which we've exposed in other of our presentations about, uh, you know, how to sort out, how to identify a false flag attack. So I shall not uh, reiterate that here, but encourage you to track it down because it's very thoroughgoing where I address at least a dozen different of these attacks and explain how we know that they were fabricated or fake. If you want more on Hillary, you might consider from Orlando to Dallas and beyond. Uh, now at Moonwalk Books, we have uh, six and five, 11 books. I'm, I'm editing uh, Las Vegas. That'll be joining soon. And then, of course, of necessity, I'll be publishing a book about uh, the Parkland scandal, which is outrageous, and where they even use fake blood, as in the case in Boston with the amputee crisis actors and mannequins as they used in Nice, France, which only exposed in Parkland in a video of the classroom shooting. Uh, I, I want to uh, thank Think Tank uh, for featuring me and how much I appreciate having this opportunity to address the public about these uh, uh, fake news involving issues of identity. Thank you for watching.
please subscribe to the Detour Podcast Network on iTunes, and don't forget to rate and review while you're there. You can also download the Stitcher and Podbean app to your device for free and search Detour Podcast Network and subscribe. If you enjoy listening to the shows on the Detour Podcast Network, then spread the word to everyone you know. Your word of mouth is our best advertising method, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, do you do shopping online? Well, do us a favor and go to d2rpn.com and click our Amazon banner and help out the network. It's going to cost you nothing extra. We get a percentage back from everything that you buy. And uh, you know what? That would be a win-win-win. It's a win for you, win for the network, and a win for Amazon. Um, Great prices, uh, everyday savings, and uh, you get what you want, and you're helping us out. So this is kind of like donating, but you get something out of it. It's great. Um, So go do it, d2rpn.com. There's banners everywhere on the website. Thanks for your support. Hey, fellas. Does your beard itch? Does your beard not grow in all the way? Go to phoenixbeardoils.com today. We've got great beard oils with sensual love. We also include the emotional healing properties and the aromatherapy information with each scent. Go to phoenixbeardoils.com today and give someone the birth.